0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the first Inside the CCL. I'm your host, Cavalier Guest. Let's uh, let's do a little recap of what this exactly is supposed to be. So, I used to do a show called the HTC Rundown, and HTC, of course, had four different regions, and I would go over the meta from each region, talk a little bit about the match, talk about the coming matches for the next weekend for each region and talking about predictions for who might win, things like that. We're gonna be doing something very similar for the CCL, obviously with just one region. There's a little less to go over, so probably we'll never run to four hours as the HGC rundown used to do. (laughs) That used to be a thing that happened. But I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to be talking about Heroes of the Storm again. We got a lot of good questions this week. For those of you who have not tuned in before, check out the Nexus Schoolhouse Discord server. There is a channel dedicated specifically to this show where you, yes, you, dear viewer, can ask questions live each weekend as the games are happening. Then they'll be answered, as if by magic, on the show. If I'm gonna talk with my hands, I should probably button my cuffs. Let's get started. So this weekend, we had the first four matches of CCL. And for anyone who's curious, there is a website called heroesprofile.com and they are uh, hosting a page specifically dedicated to the CCL matches. So you can see a list of the recent matches. Um, Overall hero stats, definitely 100% winner Orphea is a relevant stat. You can see popularity though. You can see win rate. Very, very interesting. Click on the individual heroes, you'll be able to see um, things like talent builds. I myself, uh, and this is something I used to do for HTC, but I didn't really talk about it much. There's a program called Stats of the Storm. And it's essentially a replay parser that you run on your computer and you can put replays into it. And it looks something like, this. So one of the nice things about this is Stats of the Storm is you can have collections of data that refer to exclusively specific things. You can see I have the Icebreaker tournament right here. I have CCL, sixty one, one and I have all of Oxygen scrims. I'm not showing you this one, but I will show you some of the stats you can see from Stats of the Storm. And you can get really, really, really thorough breakdowns. For instance, uh, you can get detailed stats and you can sort of see takedowns, kills, assists, kill participation, stuff like that. Highest kill streak. You can start to get a real sense of how much damage and what type of damage heroes do. So this is something that we'll be using a little bit to talk about builds and answer some other specific stats-based questions. Moving along. So first match of the day was Simplicity versus Sidestep Kings. Sidestep Kings is the team that first picked Cattle, but then they picked the Koreans, right? And they picked June, who speaks Korean, so he can actually act as a bridge. They ended up playing with Hyde, though, this week in place of June, so... I think comms are fine. Uh, It's worth noting that Kyocha is drafting for Sidestep Kings, and Kyocha was also drafting for MVP Black on their 41-game win streak. For those of you who don't know, MVP Black back in 2016 had a 41-game win streak in Professional Heroes of the Storm. They did not drop a map. And in a best-of-five, when you're playing three games minimum, a 41-game win streak means you won a lot (laughs) of of best-of-fives and Kyocha was the the drafter for MBB Black at the time so Kyocha has a long history of drafting obviously G took money out of their own pockets to pick up Noblesse as the coach and main drafter so Kyocha was not drafting for G at their peak and they were definitely uh, struggling a little bit in the draft run at the time because drafting is very arduous we'll get into that a little a little more later when we talk about uh, another question that's come up a lot sides of kings did lose game one but they managed to pull it out and did the reverse 3-0 victory, so it ended up being a 3-1 total. Impressive showing uh, from Sidestep Kings overall. Simplicity, it should be noted, was playing with their sub. Lutano was home, but he had been on vacation all week before, so he hadn't been scrimming with Simplicity at all, and Simplicity made the decision to put no in instead because they had been scrimming together, even though I I believe Lutano actually was available to play. But that kind of awkwardness It's not too big a surprise. Simplicity couldn't clutch out with the victory, but Simplicity demonstrated that they were a very, very strong team. And you can see each team has a, a diverse, I wouldn't even call it a meta, right? Necessarily. But one of the things you're going to notice throughout CCL as the tournament goes on is that every team really is going to have their own meta. And that's a result of personal opinions, hero pools that are available. Not everyone plays every hero. Different things you think you want to be doing on the map. On Shrines, you can draft a Shrines call that wins on Shrines and just never fights outside of either having a Punisher or winning a Shrine. That's a totally valid thing that people do, and, and did do, even in HGC. On BOE, you can always be drafting better race, and you can be like, we, if we always have better race, they always have to respond to us. Or you can draft straight kill comps and be like, yeah, you have better race, but we're really good at killing your heroes. so we're just gonna farm you. It's hard to say which one of those is strictly better, but teams definitely have opinions right about which one they think is better which means they're going to be in a position where their approach to the game is going to be very different you also have the fact that this is a first mixed region tournament right really we have we have eu players we have korea players and we have na players and all three of those regions have very different metas and different opinions about what's good into what and why and like do you need to change a talent to have a better matchup and, and things like that so those are the things that you need to be considering when you're watching the games and you know, sometimes we have pocket picks. Not not every not every tank player plays Malganus. But here Malganus was picked in the 3-4, which means they had seen Tracer Stukov Tyrial, and Kyocha literally said, no CC Malganus. That's it. Malganus does get hard-countered by essentially all CC. <laughs> it's very difficult to play Malganus into like too many knockbacks, too many stuns, because all of your things get cancelled. You have to have really good vision control, you have to play around the sleep extremely well. It can be very, very difficult, but if the enemy team goes for one of these high-mobility comps where their their win condition is, isn't is so much CC you and then do damage, it's just have damage that doesn't require CC to hit because Tracer is auto-attack damage. It doesn't really require things to hit. Moving on. Next up was GG versus Wildheart. Set number two of the weekend, Granite Gaming versus Wildheart Esports. One of the two, I believe, 3 O's that happened this weekend. Granite Gaming is in a rough spot, guys. I don't, I don't, I don't know another way to put this. Granite Gaming is in a rough spot. As far as I know, when uh, Granite Gaming was drafted on draft day, Nick was the only first pick player that was not invited into comms to give his input on who he thought should be on the team and who he wanted to play with. Uh, that's that's an approach one can take. <laughs> Yes, that, that is a real thing that happened. It's been mentioned several times on, on multiple streams, so it's sort of public knowledge. I don't have any comment. Also, from my perspective, uh, when we were doing interviews for Oxygen, uh, Oxygen actually did like close to 70 interviews between myself and Steve. One of the questions we asked every EU player is, will you commit to playing exclusively on North American server for the duration of CCL, and I put that question on there. The reason I put it on there was during HCC, NA had two servers. They had Central server and they had the the West server, and it made a difference. One thing I noticed is that players were inconsistent when they had to play on different pings. I would watch Tracer be played on one ping, and I'd watch Tracer be played on another ping. The same player, completely different performances. And it was the it wasn't it's not so, it's not so much that playing on higher ping makes you worse. It, it does a little bit, obviously depending on how much of the ping we're talking about. But playing on different pings will make you inconsistent. Kaskon mentioned to me that he was watching Kyocha stream and he uh, watched Kyocha playing on Korean Ladder accidentally canceled an auto. And uh, canceling an auto is something that just isn't something most professional players do. Uh, Certainly not Kyocha, who's probably one of the best hots players of all time. So playing on different pings messes up your rhythm. It makes everything inconsistent. Nick is still playing E-Ladder all the time on stream. (laughs) So I don't expect Granite Gaming to be very consistent and I don't think it's a player issue uh, necessarily. I don't think like anyone on Granite is a bad player or anything like that. I just don't think they drafted a team that necessarily wanted to play together. Everyone wants to play in CCL, but whether or not you want to play with certain people is an entirely different question. And I don't think that they have a very good practice regimen in terms of making sure they're playing exclusively on North American servers so that their ping is consistent. They're always practicing on the same ping. It might not sound like that big a deal, but it is. Wildheart took a very different approach with their draft for players. They just picked people who would play the things that Justin wanted to play. That's literally what they did. Uh, Hero pools... (laughs) were a consideration but literally it was just if if justin wants to draft weird shit he a wants people to play the play the pools and b wants people to be like yeah we'll totally do that that's fine uh i, I think it was pretty obvious to most people especially after the icebreakers that wildheart was was going to win this series moving on to series number three which was 30k versus crowd control this is actually a um, a rematch for the Icebreaker tournament as well, and uh, crowd control again, flush it out versus 30k. Michael Udall made an insane trade with Chili Mountain during the <laughs> during the uh, the actual draft, and ended up with a completely broken team. That trade, by the way, was not good for Chili Mountain. I theory crafted multiple times the idea of trading slots, like trading trading uh, pick slots. And I determined it was not ever going to be good for oxygen because the only advantage we have is eighth pick was the ability to pick two things at the same time. Picking two things at the same time is actually a huge advantage. And it's not an advantage that anyone from pick two to seven has. They have to pick one thing at a time. So I think it's okay for, for potentially any from the, the two to seven orgs to trade choices with each other. But for first pick, to make a trade with seventh pick was atrocious. And it was just a terrible thing for Chili Mountain to let happen. And it allowed uh, Michael to get an unreasonably good draft. But it is what it is. Not everyone appreciates game theory. uh, Because Chili Mountain split their double blocks. What was the swap? They traded... they, They basically lost six picks of priority they traded in such a way that they broke their double blocks of picks which was very valuable and they lost six places of priority which is if you're if your trade causes you to remove an advantage that you have over everyone else and then you lose six places in priority in your picks uh now the reason well, we'll get into why chili mountain did that two of the people doing scouting reports for chili mountain basically got completely ignored and left after the draft that's good to know <laughs> we'll get into we'll get into chili mountain in a second but Crowd Control versus 3K, there's really not much to say about this series that couldn't have been said about the Icebreaker Finals, uh, to be honest. I do think Crowd Control and 30K are definitely one of the two of the top three teams currently in CCL. This was a very close series, a uh, very aggressive play from Crowd Control and 30K. Both of them were, you know, trading blows constantly. And uh, believe it or not, that is sort of reflected in the stats. We can... What was the longest game? This is this game. This was the longest one. You can see the hero damage pretty high. Like, this is, this is Battlefield of Eternity. You would not expect necessarily this level of brawling. You can see there wasn't a lot of soak happening. This is the maximum possible minion XP. From like, minute six onwards, a lot of soap was missed. <laughs> It is a lot for a professional game, because when I say brawling, I don't mean literally casting abilities on each other. In professional play, what you're doing is you're posturing for vision and trying to catch someone out of position. And for this kind of game, where you're posturing for vision in the middle of the map on BOE, that's a lot of damage. For for like a Storm League game, that wouldn't be, because people play in vision, and you just cast abilities at each other. When I say brawling, I mean posturing for vision, trying to control the mid, not soaking, always actually looking for the 5v5 and you get small amounts of poke in the process. The replay file has a certain radius around, I think three or more heroes have to be present for it to be counted as a quote unquote team fight. So you can see the team fight damage taken, right? Lauber took a lot of damage, posturing provision. Masquerade took a lot of damage, posturing provision. This is the way it works in professional play. If tanks are taking a lot of team fight damage and the back lines sort of not, one of two things going on. Either you have a front to back comp where you're trying to kill the tanks, which this comp can kill the tank, but that's not necessarily what they're trying to do. Or you're, you're getting into this thing where you're just posturing, 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 posturing. And as a result, people who are a little bit more in the front line end up taking a little more damage. And you can see, like, even even look at this, the, the stun time, right? So ETC slides, stuns for 1.25 seconds. Masquerade stun time was 17 seconds total. That's not a lot. You can go and look at the replay. He casts, like, maybe 20 power slides this game, maybe even less than that. It's not brawling in the Storm League sense. Professional play is very different. You're posturing and trying to control vision, and when you find someone out of position, when your team is is in range, which they might not be, it's a little different. So you can see even with the CC value, and, and Anna has like insane stun time, right, because of sleep dart, and like a full duration sleep dart counts as a stun. That's a relatively long uh, value. You get the piercing, lauber, a lot of stun time. Uh, even even Ruto with the arrows. Right. So you have to you have to make sure you're evaluating it in terms of the hero. Um, For me personally, I have a larger body of data because not only do I have the scrim data that I can look at and make comparisons, but I used to do this exact thing for every HGC game. So of the thousands of HGC games, all of which had replays that I used to have a database for, I would look at things like this. I can tell you a lot just from about how the game went just from this, but I also happen to watch it. A lot of GG's at the end, by the way. Also has the the, the the chat log in there. And you can also kind of tell what's going on from the timeline. Uh, when Fort Towers die, when Immortals are taken, uh, when levels are hit. So Stats of Storm is a very, very cool, very, very useful program for doing a high-level analysis of games. Look at the takedowns. All right, you, have, you have one little early game Bumble here. But you can kind of see EDC gets caught out, Stukov gets caught out. And finally, Oxygen versus Chili Mountain. So I'm going to let you guys know that I got my exact roster that I wanted. I think I theorycrafted the draft. I spent more hours theorycrafting the draft more than anyone else. Um, I knew exactly who I wanted. Anyone who's a big, big long-time fan of this channel knows that Snitch was arguably the best flex in all of HGC in terms of hero pool depth. He had 18 heroes that he was pretty good on. Um, and and he spent a lot of time maintaining his skill on those heroes, so that he could play them at an effective level for professional play. Princess hero pool is bigger. <laughs> Prizes hero pool is bigger than that. Um, <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, BBJ made the joke once um, recently on stream that uh, Princess hero pool isn't so much a pool as it is an ocean, and I think that's a that's a fair way to put it. So I got Pritz, and, and then I got Nazmus, who I think is the best offlaner in the pool. Not necessarily the best player in the pool, but the best offlaner by, by a good margin, in my opinion. Obviously, opinions on this are going, are, are going to vary. And, and then we picked up uh, Madara. Madara also has an enormous hero pool. Like, it's actually huge. People think he's a crummy one-trick. Um, he didn't necessarily show off his pool a lot in in so people didn't know. But I knew. <laughs> Like, for instance, uh, I had some people whispering me after, uh, you know, oh, you didn't pick a Medivh player. Do you think that's going to be a, a problem? And I'm like, Madara plays Medivh, guys. So um, I have two ranged heroes, two flexes, that have enormous hero pulls now. I got uh, the person that I think is literally the best support in Europe, in, in Banana, and we picked up Cascon, and we'll talk about what Cascon's for a little bit later, because there was a question uh, specifically about what are people doing with the sixth person. So I got an insane roster. Chili Mountain actually had uh, invite-only in-houses, and they put teams together, right? They were like, oh, let's let's see what this roster did, and they had them scream against other teams in the in-houses. I heard nothing of Red Robot. Well, okay, so every other team would pick their tank, right? And Red Robot was the tank, a, a tank that I had strongly considered right? Um, tanking is arguably the most difficult role in Heroes of the Storm. It's the most knowledge-based, and, and people, you know, questioned it. People questioned, are they going to be able to be a good with Red as a tank? Because he doesn't have the same level of experience as a lot of the other tanks. And and here's my thing, for me personally. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I wrote The Art of the Tank way back in 2016. It was the first guide that sort of crystallized what a tank is and what a tank does for a team that uh, professional tank players started linking it around to people you know people would ask them how to tank and they would just send them the link to my guide <laughs> so uh that guy was endorsed by professional tank players i i had messages from people asking me like are you on a team like how did you figure this out on your own and i was like i just watched replays and figured it out it wasn't really that difficult I just what are tanks doing and how does that how does that work uh, there is an update to the Art of the Tank coming in the near future, by the way. Um, check out the Nexus Schoolhouse Patreon, if you want to you keep updated on that. It, it is. I would say it's about 70% finished. A, a reworked and updated for the modern era, Art of the Tank is incoming. So, my requirement was I needed a tank who was willing to listen, had a good growth mindset, and that I had seen improve, right? And I saw Red Robot improve over the course of in-houses, Um, I got to see him play several in-houses against Lauber. Lauber's a very good tank player, and he was giving Lauber some problems. (laughs) Uh, I I picked Red because he is not currently the best tank in the league, um, but I think he has the potential to actually be the best tank in the league. And I think that as someone who has so much knowledge of tanking, I can help him get there relatively easily because he's willing to learn. So Chili Mountain... Uh, apparently had their own in-houses. They had an exact roster that they wanted. And they they made a horrendous trade in order to get that roster. But their roster was really based on and someone said someone said it in chat, and I can't confirm this. So this is hearsay. But apparently some of Chili Mountain's scouts were ignored and then like left chat when they were ignored. Which is <sighs> okay. Uh, I don't if that's true, that's that's even worse. But Chili Mountain, not everyone responded to those messages that they wanted to have you, them come in and do their own in-houses. So uh, many of the tank players, Justing, and uh, Cattle, or two that I know for as far as I know for certain, did not respond to those messages. So Chili Mountain picked the best of the people, in their opinion, that responded to their messages and were willing to come tr- do like their own in-house tryouts, essentially, um, which automatically disqualifies a ton of people who were like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> And then if they also ignored their scouting, the, the people that they had scouting, because they had like five or six scouts all up and down. I think Chile Mountain probably had the most scouting hours put in because they had so many people doing it. Oxygen, we had two scouts. Uh, Michael pretty much did most of all his own scouting. And obviously you guys, every time I was streaming in-houses, I was scouting. That's what I was doing. Everyone always says they had private in-houses and got the thing they wanted. Nobody asked how those games went. Oh, they lost. Uh, their exact roster that they picked apparently lost the the one scrim block. <laughs> that they played in the announces. That's uh, that's the teams, those are the first matches, and as always we will now get to the questions that were submitted. SSK versus Sim. Game one. Why is this Vala? Isn't Phoenix or Gul'dan just better? I'm gonna be honest with you guys, I've done some replay analysis of Vala from the announces. I've done some stat-based research on Vala, and I don't think is very good right now. It's not that uh, Vala's damage is low, necessarily. It's that in order for her to do that damage, she has to take a lot of damage in exchange. So if I'm looking at her damage taken stat in uh, replays, uh, her damage taken stat is garbage. She's taking way too much damage. If she is not taking damage, then her damage numbers, they go complete shit. The only time this isn't true, from manual review is post 20 with flight quiver. then her damage is okay and her, her damage taken is fine. Do you want to draft a comp that can only win post 20? Other heroes would just be strictly better. Um, and that's that's an opinion to some degree, but it's also backed up by stats. <laughs> when does one pick Summer Anthem? So for those who don't know, Summer Anthem is uh, a level 20 talent for Cascon. This is from Kenya. Uh, activate for all other allies affected by crossfade become unkillable for one and a half seconds what summer anthem should be doing ideally i think is buffer for sound barrier so someone's about to die you hit summer anthem and then you hit sound barrier and by the time sound barrier goes off summer anthem will have hit it gives you an instant save and an instant save in competitive play is a little bit more valuable than it is in like ladder play because focus fire is so much better so the ability to like snap save someone is actually quite a bit more um, significant. It didn't get too much value in this game. I think it made one save total. I think it's probably a very difficult talent to use. And I would say it's something that you're you're really worried about, someone getting bursted out. That would be the major, major, major concern, someone getting bursted out. And I'm looking at um, Left's team comp, and I'm like, where's the burst? Wouldn't, wouldn't you rather just have Soundbearer up more often? Uh, I also think it potentially has a, a really strong niche in double support, but I'm not sure when are the optimal situations where I would be like, yeah, Summer Anthem was totally the pick here. Uh, I don't think it was this game, in my opinion, again. Is it a good draft to go Containment Disk? Is this ability undervalued? Um, I do think Containment Disk is undervalued a little bit. Containment Disk is definitely uh, has situations where it is the pick. It has a very short cooldown. You can use it to just try to get picks in lane, because you can like, contain it to someone from Fog trap them your team gets there you they blow up it's, it's wonderful um but containment disc was a meta counter to diablo lightning breath in hgc you would disc lightning breath and then you could just walk away while it did no damage uh, diablo would continue to breathe when he came out of disc but you could dive past him or you could walk away and disc has such a short cooldown that it was up for every lightning breath no matter what also diva's mech won't explode if you containment disc it and diva cannot get back in her mech until her bomb goes off. If, if Diva hits E, Baby Diva cannot resummon another mech until the bomb explodes. So if you containment just the mech, you give yourself like four additional seconds or three additional seconds to kill Baby Diva for free. And it's not like they had some insane wombo with Cage, right? They they had maybe silence arrow. So I didn't really see the value of Cage here at all. Uh, containment just definitely would have been better. And in a situation like this where Containment Disc is obviously better and it wasn't picked, I would have to say the Containment Disc is being underpicked. Why go Reactive Boleto Spores? Does it ever get much value? So a lot of people think that Reactive boletospores Spores doesn't get a lot of value because they're asking themselves this, this reasonable question of shouldn't Stukov be in the back and not taking a bunch of damage, and therefore this talent should never go off? But the thing you have to consider is Stukov is real healthy. <laughs> He has, a, he has a pretty decent health pool. And he auto attacks for a lot. So you kind of want to be up in the front line, uh, wailing on people. And because Reactive blood spores exists, it actually makes you pretty safe. Also, stuff might, just because you don't want to be next to stuff, doesn't mean stuff doesn't want to be next to you. So you're looking at this column and you're like, oh, that's a Nubarak. A Nubarak can gap close me. Oh, that's a URL. URL can dive on me. These are bad things. So there's two aspects to Reactive Bledospores being, being the pick. One is, Stuff is going to dive on me, and it's all going to get W'd. My D is going to be reset. I'm going to Q myself. I'm going to get a big heal. They're all going to be slowed, and I can just tootle off. Two, I can frontline. I can bait the enemy team into autoing me. I will lose health, my D will reset, and then I'll be fine. And if all of that goes wrong, I have a Garrosh, who's probably right there with me, and he can into the frame me out. So Hyde specifically, if you watch him play, you'll notice that he does intentionally bait people into autoing him and then just heals up all the damage done, but now they have a W on them. But, Boleto Spores, Stukop has no mobility. He just walks places. He can get people away from him with slap, but his only real response to being Dove is this level 1 down, and his heroics. And you don't necessarily want to use your heroics to peel for yourself, uh, as a general rule. And 50 percent's not not that high a bar. Like, you take any damage below 50%, you instantly spread a weighted pustle to all nearby enemy heroes, and you reset the cooldown every day. D. It's great. And yes, it gets tons of value every game. <laughs> Especially when Hyde's playing. I just want to note, uh, for purposes, that Nuclear Option was the pick in this game, which was Game 2. And the next question is, how did Kyochi, excuse me, not go Nuclear Option in Game 2, even though he did get good value out of it. Oh no, in Game 3, excuse me. Even though he did get good value out of it in Game 2. So the big difference between Divas level 4s is, Nuclear Option, you can reduce the counter play to the bomb. That's essentially what it is. It's a little bit more likely to explode on people, it gives you a little bit more damage from Full Metal. It gives you a little bit more sustain from Full Metal because healing from Full Metal is based on the damage done, right? Rushdown instead gives you a little bit more self-sustain. So game two, you two is on Tomb of the Spider Queen, a little bit, little bit less counterplay, a little bit, you know, URL knocking it away, things like that. And you're mostly using Bomb in a lot of cases to actually clear the objective. So minimizing counterplay is pretty relevant. You're not necessarily using it on heroes. Whereas on Infernal Shrines, you're doing a lot more rotating um the level four has better synergy with the level seven that he ended up taking get on the point get on the point is the thing you take uh primarily for double soaking and towers is a map where you're gonna have to do a lot more and it obviously has better synergy with rushdown so it's a small thing Kyocha has been taking both rushdown and nuclear opinion slash option in in various games and it really just comes down to what his responsibilities are on Diva that game and how much counterplay exists to the bomb obviously I'm not going to say, you know, exactly which situations he might pick one or the other, but so far from watching him play it on ladder and in and in games, that seems to be what's going on. This next question is uh, basically mean, which was why was Urel picked into D.Va? Because they thought that getting completely stomped in the matchup was not a problem. Going Alone is going to come back, by the way, for those of you who uh, are new to the stream. Going Alone was a show I used to do specifically on offlane matchups. And how to play individual matchups correctly. And the first episode that's coming back is is going to be on URL versus D.Va specifically. But for the moment, I'm gonna tell you D.Va stomps this matchup. It is not close. Any any pro-level D.Va player should just out rotate the URL every time or slow the URL down from rotating so much that URL will miss soap. And it's always one of those two options. Like you 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 have so many you're you're so dominant in the matchup. That you can pick how you want to win it. It's not even oh you have to play this one way and you can you can win it. It's how do I want to win it? Like you have so many options and you can like go back and forth between them depending on what's going on with the format. If you want to pick Urel into a losing matchup, if you want to pick any offlane into a losing matchup, like they're they've already picked their offlaner and you're you're thinking about you picking your offlaner, you're saying to yourself we need this for some other reason. So the other reason that Urel is good is Urel is decent in a garage. She has the armor shred at uh, sixteen. That's the W talent. And knocking Garrosh away uh, ruins Garrosh's day. It does really annoy him. So you have that going for you. In in full five-on-five teamfights, Yurel can sort of zone for your backline while Anubarak looks for flanks. Because Anubarak does not have a lot of peel, whereas Yurel has a lot of peel. Or you might be looking for like some kind of dive composition, and Yurel is very good at assisting divers. She doesn't really need a support to save her. She has her own self-healing. She has her own armor. She has... Even though it's a long cooldown, she has her heroic that can save her. So I'm assuming that they thought they needed the peel for the Garrosh while Anubarak looked around for a pick. What was Noah's build? This is QQW. This is a build that's somewhat meta in EU. Uh, for the record, I think this build is strictly worse than just going W at 1, unless you can't hit your W's consistently. I would say you have to be hitting 80% of your W's for a W build to actually be better, and some people can do that. Why was Nara picked? Um, I st- The draft order actually is saved in Stats of the Storm, so let's go look at this. So it's worth noting, uh, Linara was picked in the 3-4 here, right? So the heroes already picked for blue were Cassia, Brightwing, Anubarak. Generally speaking, in order to counter Anubarak, uh, you want an auto attacker. Uh, Anubarak has cool ways to deal with spell damage. They can really mitigate the impact of it. He does not have cool ways to deal with being auto to death. He will just get shredded. The problem is Cassia. Cassia requires a fairly high damage hero to, to sort of win her armor. Also, Cassia has somewhat limited range. So in terms of matchups, if you can outrange the Cassia, that's ideal um and Lunara is definitely an option that gives you sort of a hybrid of those two things right you have a slow which means that you can consistently stay away from the Cassia because you also have larger attack range you have the spread damage uh which is something that can be really good and then you also you also like do decent auto attack damage so you actually will shred a um an Anubarak for instance very high and you can you can mess with his cooldowns because Anubarak is good against burst spells, but he's not really good against damage over time, right? It's not really the same. And then they also ended up last picking the uh, the Greymane. Wisp also gives you a lot of vision control. Uh, vision is important on every map, but on Towers of Doom, there are uh, some cool places that you can put the Wisp in order to have a lot of vision of all the rotations that are relevant to your format. And you can also stop your offlaner uh, from getting ganked, which... Wasn't really a concern, in my opinion, for this particular draft, but could have been a concern, depending on uh, what offlaner was picked into the diva. I think that's probably why Lunara was picked. Uh, game 4. Were big potions good? could Blessings have been better? So one of the things that I don't like about people always taking Blessings, for anyone who doesn't know, we're talking about the level 16 Decker talent. One of the things I don't like um, about people talking about Blessings is Blessings in pro play is frequently used just to damage. The healing is not relevant. I've seen Blessings popped when everyone is at full health. Literally everyone is at full health. Blessings is popped because they caught someone out of position, they want to make sure that person dies, they're focusing them down, you just pop Blessings for the damage. Super Healing Potion is relevant for the healing. So it's not that Blessings is always picked in pro play because it's op blessings is picked in pro play because it helps you get those kills like it, it's a little bit of damage it's a little bit of it does pve even like if you're racing a boss down and you really need to win it you can pop blessings but super healing potion is a lot of healing like it's an insane amount of healing i kind of wish I'll give you guys detailed stats i don't think it'll i don't think you can tell you healing potion healing but you can see it's a lot of healing Like 76,000 healing. Uh, It it becomes comparable to a Stukov, right? Stukov is is someone who has really high spread healing. Deckard is essentially a single target healer, if you want to think of him that way, Um, because he throws one pot to one person. This Deckard kept up with a Stukov. This does not normally happen. And pots are also better against teams with less CC. So So you can throw pots down, they grow to big pots. Your team, if they don't need healing, they just avoid them. And if they get dove on, they walk to the pot. Well, obviously, if they get dove on and they're CC'd, then they can't just walk to the pot. But if the enemy team has fairly minimal CC, they can just walk to the pot. No CC, slows only, a knockback at level 20, a half-second stun at level 7, and a root at 13, plus a slow. You will out-sustain this comp every time with Big Pots. And you may not get a kill with Blessings because they're highly mobile. So I definitely think Big Pots was better that game, and Blessings would not have been better. Why was Ming not picked up by Sides of Kings after first pick Stukob by Simplicity? They went for Raynor, who is bad into Biotic Armor. They went for Imperius, who is bad into Biotic Armor. And Mingol says one of the best matchups in the Stukov. This is true, because you can consistently force Stukov to cancel his E if you orb him every time. This was a strategy that HHE was employing at the very end of HGC. Every time Stukov would try to silence someone, Ming would always be out of vision, uh, posturing for position, and she would immediately orb the Stukov, and he would get absolutely chunked. But yeah, I I don't agree with this draft order, right? I don't don't agree with this draft order. I don't agree with picking auto-attackers into Stukov. That could have been, like, Ming-Anna or something. Anna has uh, weaknesses as well, but Li Ming is... In in in-houses, Li Ming actually had uh, one of the highest win rates, on BOE of any hero. And obviously, analysis are a little bit different from CCL, but they ended up getting it anyway. So they might have known something we didn't in terms of priorities. Moving on. GG versus Wildheart, game two. Why was Thing of the Deep, Deep picked at Nazebo for Never Alone? I actually think Thing of the Deep is the best talent for Nazebo L- at level one, it's full stop, across the board. I don't think there's any situations, really, where I would consider the other ones at all. The reward for Spiders 1 is pretty big. Yes. I think Things of the Deep is strictly better. Not exaggerating. I think Things of the Deep is just better at level 1. Um, it provides a lot of safety. For anyone who doesn't know what Things of the Deep does, it increases the range of all Nazipa's basic abilities by 20%, which means that he himself can follow up on, on tanks and stuff from way out of nowhere. Whew. Range is generally very strong across the board. Reward, after getting 50 stacks of Voodoo Ritual, gain 5% spell power. After getting 100 stacks, gain additional 5% spell power. So you do 10% more damage with all of your abilities and your traits for the rest of the game. talents? Well, I don't like Hexed Crawlers. Um, someone, I, I think I went and checked the replay and at one point uh, Unaverted would have had 1000 more health. Not kidding, he would have had 1000 more health if he had taken Big Voodoo uh, at level four instead. Uh, and that's a lot. Uh, I don't see the value of Toads of Hugeness. Toads of Hugeness is generally picked as a zoning talent. So it's like you have to leave or take this damage uh, there have been strats where it's been attempted on Moskaya, where you you know take Toad build and you're like get off the point or get hit by a Toad. One of those two things. I don't care which. It does do a lot of siege damage. It has that going for it. It can punish relatively heavy frontlines. jodahaka I think Dead Rush is very good. I've said Dead Rush is good as far back as like I think twenty seventeen, whenever he ended up, whenever the the thing got fixed where you still got the the zombies if you cancel it. That was the patch where I was like okay yeah Dead Rush is probably really good now. People kept going q build though. No no no. Um, it's also worth noting that Ravenous Spirit was the pick here as well. Uh, Ravenous Spirit, you can think of it as as, as Riptire. You can literally think of it as Riptire, except it does damage continuously instead of blowing up. But it goes over terrain, it can chase people, it does a lot of damage. Um, and with Things of the Deep, you're naturally further back. So it's much harder for the enemy team to interrupt Ravenous Spirit. Even people who might argue with me about Things of the Deep uh, being the best level one as Evo talent, I think for competitive purposes, if you're gonna go Ravenous Spirit, you need to go Things of the Deep at one. So things of the Deep, Big Voodoo, Dead Rush is your NAS build. I would say that's the the sort of the default. Facto Naz build at the moment. I believe last time I checked, it also just had the highest win rate. It's my opinion, but it's also stats. Uh, we saw Korean teams play Nazebo as a Malphite counter at one point during uh, a Korean tournament as well. Holy Fury is garbage. um So I, I I checked this. I went and played a game. I did first. I did the math, and I was like, wow, this is garbage. And then I played a game of Infernal Shrines where I took all of the talents that one would think would synergize with Holy Fury. And then I checked, manually checked, which took forever, my damage from Holy Fury after the game. And it was garbage. It was straight garbage. This talent is actually too weak to be picked, even in the perfect scenario for it. Which this wasn't, this wasn't even that. Don't pick this talent. What about Spirit of Achina from to farm Deathwing? Uh, I would actually rather farm Deathwing with Bedrush. Because if you're taking Nazebo into Deathwing, it's because of Zombie Wall. Because Zombie Wall hard farms Deathwing if you can get him in it. You can't do anything about it. But that seems like a reasonable ladder thing to do, actually, because Deathwing's hitbox is so big. But I don't, like in competitive, I don't just want to poke someone. I want to kill them. Uh, roar, is, roar is probably, like, I, I would say hammers and roar. Have both of situations where they're good. I think Roar, would, you're never gonna go wrong picking Roar. Roar is never going to be bad. Any opinions on Tyka's build on Wildheart versus GG on Spider Queen? <sighs> okay. Yeah, my opinion is don't go this build. <laughs> Um, so, Melting Point was. I, I evaluated Melting Point right after the patch, and it's even like for race on BOE, it's not good. Tychus doesn't really need it to supplement his wave clear because he already can clear a wave with Q and a single grenade if he just switches targets on his Q. His Q, by the way, does more damage to its primary target, so the way to wave clear on Tychus is to like Q one frontline minion and then immediately Q another one and then immediately another one. You can constantly shift the target around, and then you grenade it once, and it's pff, the wave's clear. Tega's actually has really good wave. Doesn't need any supplements of any kind, and twenty percent extra damage. The the one thing that I will say, grenade range is good for is interrupting Stukov silence. If there's some sort of channel that you need to interrupt and you're saving grenade exclusively for that, but it's a backline channel and not a frontline channel. Grenade range could be good. I thought Nick was taking grenade range at one when I first saw him pick it in the game to interrupt Ravenous Spirit. And I was like, man, if he interrupts every Ravenous Spirit with that grenade range, that's gonna be so good. And then I don't think that happened once the entire game. You have to stand still? No, you can. I mean, you can be moving your hero while you're clicking with Q. That's just an APM question. God bless, have their guests back in new content. This is the analysis I'm waiting for. GG Sugar Bear. Thank you for the sub. Well, welcome to the guest list. Appreciate it. So I thought the range was—I thought the range was going to be exclusively for Ravenous Spirit. Straight up, I thought the range was exclusively for Ravenous Spirit, and for that one purpose, I think it would have been okay. Not great. I, I would have like—I saw—I've seen it taken into Stukov, and into Stukov, it's actually pretty good. You save grenade exclusively to, to cancel the silence, and so you're like, Whew, Whew, Whew. yeah. I, I, melting point is just bad. I have tried every scenario where melting point should be good, and it's not don't take melting point i don't know what this is like spell armor would have been so good in in into nazebo because one of the things you can do into big toads in particular is just be like okay you pop your spell armor and you walk into the toad and you're like i'm here now uh and you like you can't get zoned off by big toads um but even even just the self-heal like that's the stuff would have been would have been really good it's about optimizing the splash gun. do you stand to the side or directly in front of the primary melee oh you can actually move back and forth and like spray the whole wave you don't need to stand on the for this. And I don't think the slow is very relevant. Like, I, I think 25% slows are relevant. I don't think that the slow on Q is very relevant for the way Tychus plays as a hero. And then uh, you can actually see, I mean, Nick did a lot of hero damage this game, but his team fight hero damage was, you know, also like relatively high at 50K. And you can see there, like, there wasn't a lot. Like, we didn't have a lot of straight team fights this game. It feels like this build does white damage. And for anyone who is not familiar with that term, white damage is damage that looks really good on the scoreboard, but didn't lead directly to kills. And you can kind of see that in the uh, you know disparity. You'd have to you'd have to like do a real full analysis of the game, which would I, I would it took me about an hour, hour and a half to really go over a replay and evaluate you know how efficacious was a particular build, were there scenarios where it, it actually did something useful? But from watching the game and looking at the stats, and from just a long history of analyzing games, I don't think this was a good build. White damage you could take damage? Not necessarily. Like sometimes you, if you're doing damage to someone and you don't you can't kill them but you zone them off a point, that's fine. There were there were Lunara based comps uh way back when that had fairly minimal CC, but you could take them on the sky and it was either just get off the point or die. We can't stop you from getting we can't stop you from getting off the point. You can just walk away anytime you want to. So white damage can be Good, but you, you have to watch the replay to be certain. But in this game, I watched. You know, I watched the game. I'm looking at the replay stats. I did a, went all over it a little bit just to answer the question better. And I don't think this build was good. Stats of the storm gives me more uh, information from the replays than Heroes Profile does, which is why I maintain my own database. Is Unspeakable Horror better than Mimic? <laughs> people always use. People always want to use the word better. It's it's different. I would say for. The purposes of competitive after the most recent buff, Durlins of hate, silences enemies for three seconds after its route expires, which means it also silences them for the duration of the route now, uh, so two and a half seconds. So it's, it's a five and a half second silence or four and a half second silence. That's an eternity in professional play. Also, with the advent of Medallion, it removes counterplay. If Durance hits, you're just screwed. Talents are not good or bad in a vacuum. They're good because of things like consistency. They're good better or worse at your level of play. Sometimes there's a niche talent. Like, some heroes are not well-designed, and they just have one build. That's actually pretty rare at the moment, but it, it was a, it's was it been an ongoing issue throughout the history of where sometimes that happens. But a lot of heroes have multiple viable talents. But for the purposes of competitive, having a full... Four and a half or five and a half seconds, second silence is insane, right? That That's a, that, as a combo, that's insane. And you're going to draft something that allows you to hit it, right? You're, we, we have the divine storm plus the divine hurricane and then Durance is like a follow-up. Um, there's no way in competitive that Mimic beats that. Okay, CC versus 30k, game four. What is the current Battlefield of Eternity meta? I'm seeing a lot of early Imperius, especially as main tank. It's weird uh, because this map, I would think offline Imperius is the most viable. Ming is a little lower prior than I think she should be considering how good she is on the map. So the meta on BOE really isn't that different from what it's been. It's just a question of, do you have better race, or do you have better team fight, right? Um, so, Li Ming was picked a little bit later in the draft, which is a little strange, because you would think Li Ming is a prio pick on BOE because of the race. Um, and I I have, I have to say, I do not like hybrid comps on BOE. I don't like these comps where it's, oh, we also have good race, but we also have good poke, and we also have good team fight. I think the more compromises you make in terms of the goal of your composition, the worse your composition becomes. So I think a lot of these drafts are people trying to not lose. So one team picks a racer, and then the other team is like, oh, we're gonna lose the race. We need to make sure we have some race, and then they pick a hero. Uh, And I just don't like doing that. You can see the draft order. Ming was picked in the 2-3, first pick Cassia. Everyone thinks Cassie is good at the moment, so I, I, like it's hard to argue with this. And then and Li Ming, but Li Ming wasn't counter-picked away. They went Imperius, Urel, And I hate this rotation for two reasons. One, I, I don't think you should pick your offline necessarily. But two, if you pick Imperius and URL together, there's no question in the enemy team's mind about where the Imperius is going. Obviously, the Imperius is main tank and Yrel offline. Like, you're not gonna magically switch those. This pick gives a shitload of information to the other team. And for that reason alone, it's not good. Not even, not even considering the meta. <laughs> It's just not, it's just not good. Auction versus Chile Mountain Game 1 uh, from Kenya. Why is EDC Stuka bad into Johanna? Ishbu was flaming that draft and I'd like to know why. So here's, here's a funny thing. Why is EDC Stukop bad into Johanna? So, matchups. So tank matchups are about a lot of little things. This is actually a stop. This is not a matchup where it's like, oh you can do this and it's not as- no. No. Professional players can reactively W an ETC slide. That means you can see the ETC slide coming, hit W, you'll get slid, and then shh, the Condemn hits the ETC. This means that he can't mosh. He will literally not be able to mosh, ever, unless you're he's tracking your W cooldown and like knows it exactly, right? And then Stukov is like an insane zoning hero and has this great slow. And oh wait, all of that stuff's countered by Unstoppable. Wait, let me think. Is yeah, I'll and oh no, okay, yeah. Stukov is hard countered by unstoppables, <laughs> and Joe has one on her D, and it's 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 a relatively short cooldown, so it's just like a tear. So they picked ETC, and we had Johanna up, and we just just took Johanna. And then they picked Stukov into it. Oxygen versus Chili Mountain game one, Dark Mox level seven, ETC. Did that allow Oxygen to get a free macro advantage? Yes. So for those not knowing, uh, this is Pinball Wizard. Pinball Wizard is a great talent. So this talent is technically wave clear. You can slide the wave and then W the wave, and the wave is kind of cleared. But it's not enough waveclear for an offlaner. You, you guys can go watch the replay. All the replays, by the way, are posted in the CCL Discord. Dark Mock was getting beaten in the 1v1 by an Abather hat. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. He was literally losing to an Abather hat in the offlane because he did not take Echo Battle. <laughs> and here's the problem. Power Slide has a relatively long cooldown. It's 12 seconds. If you're a stage dive ETC, you need to stage dive in and have Q available. So whenever you clear a wave, the enemy team can see it, right? If you Q a wave and then W it, you've just said to the enemy team, hey, hey, you guys have 12 seconds where even if ETC dives in, he's totally useless. And then the enemy team is like, great, thanks. That's useful information. We will do something with that. And then we did. If you're offline ETC, you need to take Echo Petal. It's not like an optional thing. And and the higher the level of play goes, the more true that becomes. EDC was a spy. Uh... Did Kask on favor Orphea pick there due to Chili Mountain having EU players, or did it just fit the draft really best other winning picks in Prismat's pool? So the, the reason that question is, is being asked is because Orphea has really long wind-ups on all of her abilities, and they all have animations that start immediately as soon as she starts casting them. Good players will react. When Orphea first came out, um, she was played a lot in Korea. Like, a lot. And Korea was like, oh, this hero's so busted. And then uh, people started dodging everything she did. You know, Korean players play on like 8-9 to nine ping, but with ping, it becomes easier to dodge. So when you're playing against people who are on higher ping, it becomes harder to dodge. So Orphea is going to be a better hero. Uh, Ishbu made the joke that the hard counter to EU players is just taking Cassie and picking Valkyrie. Because he could farm them on ladder because they literally can't dodge it. And you actually can't dodge it. You cannot dodge a range Valkyrie on over like 60 ping. And most EU players are playing with 120. Really what this came down to is you always need a frontline and a backline Mosh interrupt. So Lucio can interrupt Mosh, but it's very technical because the range is like, it's just... It, take, it takes it takes some some, some excellent uh, Lucy play. Johanna can obviously interrupt Mosh. Um, so we actually just picked another Mosh interrupt. It's not, like we had some options. We were like, these things all interrupt Mosh. And Orphea was just the one we settled on because we thought it was the best of their comp of those available options. So it was really just about the enemy team's comp and not anything fancy like pain considerations. Uh, Pro moves on D.Va is standard. Standard or because AB was present for this thing. But I thought Jojo was only mosh up you need. Yeah, that's a that's that's a situation where you trust but verify. It, it's always nice to have backups. It's always nice to have backups. I, I said this when D.Va first got reworked I said pro moves would probably be the best late game talent because having the armor and move speed in team fights is always gonna be very, very relevant, and once you're with your team you have a healer. Uh, but it's gonna it's gonna suck in lane. It's always going to be bad in lane. Liquid Cooling should, or Full Metal should probably be the best laning talent no matter what. And then Liquid Cooling would be the compromise. And so far it's, it's sort of worked out that way where we're seeing Liquid Cooling on some bigger maps or when Wells get sniped, stuff like that. And we're seeing Full Metal to make sure you can absolutely dominate your lane and it's still okay in team fights. it's just not as good. But yeah, we had an Abahat. We had sustain. Pro moves plus Abahat is obviously good. And I, I don't think that should be like a revelation for anyone because I said it on stream as soon as Diva got reworked uh why Zera so so Ishbu ruined this on stream by the way uh Ishbu by the way it has very informative casting I encourage you guys to go watch him if you want really educational casting uh when the CCL is going on because he's just like talking about the game and the way he put it was brilliant which is in competitive play you design your comp to kill part of their comp you don't need to kill everyone on the enemy team you just need to kill one person on the enemy team really well and then, then you're 5v4, and it's pretty easy to win a 5v4 no matter what the compositions are. So we picked Zeratul to hunt and kill Anna. And I think anyone watching the game would have noticed that all Zeratul did post 10 was hunt and kill Anna. Anna had the most deaths on the enemy team. <laughs> this is not a coincidence. Um, we, we we decided to as soon as they picked Anna, we decided to hunt Anna. That was the game. This was hunt Anna, the game. And their their comp was trying to uh, kill ETC off of throw. Right? Team teams are built in competitive to do stuff, to do real specific stuff in a lot of game, in a, in a lot of cases. Whether that's to race or like control an objective or kill one particular hero on the enemy team. Um, I'll give you guys another example from from HGC. Judgment Tyrael into Lucio. Lucio cannot get Sound Barrier off if he is Judgmented. So if you have the correct damage follow up, you can always kill Lucio with Judgment Tyrael. Literally a hundred percent of the time. Is Judgment gonna just go on any random hero? No, it's gonna go on the Lucio, every time. There's tons of competitive comps that are designed to kill one enemy hero, just one. Different now, just Medallion. I mean, I would trade Judgment for Medallion. So good to go uh, I think this actually was supposed to be. That's <laughs> where Summer Anthem comes in? Maybe, actually. Summer Anthem would be a really good counter to do Judgment the Judgment comes. Um, although you'd still be at zero health, so I don't know how good that would be. Oh, uh, Summer Anthem doesn't even affect Lucio, so no. Yeah, good call. Um, so good to go is kind of mandatory in professional play. I thought good to go was a little weak, at first, and I still think it arguably is a little weak on ladder, but it's necessary in competitive play. You really need the knockback if your mech gets popped, and you need the, the torpedo dash out. Even even with good to go, we're consistently seeing baby divas in these games, in these games, in 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 the games played this weekend. Baby divas consistently dying <laughs> when she gets her mech popped, uh, even with good to go. That would basically happen a hundred percent of the time without the stone. So. For competitive i think good to go is kind of mandatory even though i do think the w talent at 13 is quite good especially because it has good synergy with the 16 but i just don't think it's pickable and competitive uh those are all the game specific questions that were asked before the show started uh we're going to get into some meta questions uh from jay del del really del really? del rio jesus christ uh why is jojo such a high priority jojo is a high priority for a variety of reasons one is uh johanna only has two maybe three well actually we'll get into the the other one Johanna, Johanna has three unfavorable tank matchups, and one of them is not meta. Statistically, she has exactly three unfavorable tank matchups. She is favored against every other tank except for three. And We saw two of them picked in in uh, in this series. We saw Varian, and we saw main tank Leo. I will get into the third one uh, when someone actually picks it. But it gives you that very stable. It gives you a lot of stable very tank matchups. If people don't know how to counter pick Johanna, Johanna is just. Whew, also, Johanna has waveclear. Uh, picking wave clear in the tank slot means that you need to pick less wave clear in your range slot, which opens up uh, more ranged options, which is good, as it turns out. Why do people pick, keep picking Vala even though she's doo-doo? Asking for Ishbu, because they think Vala is good, and she is not. Uh, what do I think of main tank Blaze? I like it because I just oil stuff, even tanks, to get positive trades and hold these as long as necessary. Oil is the big deal, but what do you think of it in this level of play? Uh, maintain Blaze is viable. The problem is that uh, Maintain Blaze will get booped uh, every time on his E, unless he has an Unstoppable. So you have to go New Habits level one, you have to pop your trait right before you E, and then you have to E. But, like, Rainer will knock back every E if you don't do that. E to C will boop every E if you don't do that. And we've seen this in professional play. This is not like, oh, you know, this is theoretically— I have seen players do this to hundreds of blazes. Uh Blaze will not get a good E off unless he goes New Habits, has it finished, and is willing to use his trait um but the space control is good like the space control that blaze offers in the in the tank slot is quite strong the problem is the only thing he really offers is in addition to like some space control is wave clear and joe also offers wave clear so like the only time you pick blaze if you really need a bunker um for some reason it has a 100 second cd but it gets reduced whenever you queue heroes so the cd is actually fairly variable i think it's like 80 seconds it's not a it, it's some number but it gets reduced but you have you have uh, why are we seeing so many teams ban Medivh and first pick Junkrat? Junkrat is a very good counter to Medivh. This is a fair question. Junk, you, you, as soon as you see a portal, you put a boop on it. People come out of the portal, you boop them away. They can't get back to the portal. They're split. They're spread instead of focused on a target. And, and It sucks. The problem is that you can play Medivh with only defensive portals. We're wearing you down with a Raynor, and you're going to go on someone, and I'm going to portal that person out so they're 100% safe, which means you have to immediately get the boop on the portal as the person you're going on is like channeling it and that's harder. So Junkrat's a really good counter to aggressive Medivh comps but not to defensive Medivh comps. Also even if you have a good counter to Medivh, Medivh is still really hard to play against. <laughs> Medivh like fundamentally alters the game in the way you're allowed to position in the way you're allowed to use cooldowns. In the way you have to draft in order to secure kills because of force of will, not even counting portals. There are a lot of teams that would rather just not play against Medivh, even if even if they they think they can counter it in draft, they would rather just not play against it. Uh, random with prioritizations on characters like Johanna and squishy backliners, including Anna, Chromie, Hanzo. Why do you think there hasn't been characters like Genji in response? I mean, we we picked Azera in response. I don't I don't know. <laughs> um. Hmm? Maybe you guys will see a Genji in CCL. BBJ typed out alt CD di- timers in chat. I know some people do. Is this extra time commitment worth? Yes, you should type out. Like ideally, you would you would you would not just call it in comms, You would uh, type out channels, and and that's one of those things that like. You can see players doing it on stream it's obviously good it's just a question of if you have the mental capacity having your support do it like making your support responsible for tracking them and typing it out is a really good use of their time because the tank should be looking at the mini map uh the off lane and at least one of the range heroes need to be managing waves uh but your support frequently has like i wouldn't i wouldn't say a lot of free time but some chili mountain was our primary scrim partner until we got the the um the match history like the the thing that we, like we knew that we were going to be playing them so we stopped screaming them But yes, we have scrimmed every CCL team. How is Cascon keeping track of hero pools, opponent scouting, and map strategies for draft? Is he using a spreadsheet or a GUI? I don't know. Cascon. We use a spreadsheet. (laughs) We use a spreadsheet for our hero pools. We don't like to make assumptions about enemy team's hero pools because people can always add stuff. So we we draft with, uh, you know, sort of an idealized version of comps in mind. We don't necessarily draft against uh, specific team's hero pools because they can always surprise you if you do that. Which brings me to the last question. Are uh, most six slots like Breakwood on 30K and Caskman on actually Investments for the Future. By this I mean players that are untested and perhaps not as mechanically strong today, but given exposure to high level could really shine. Obviously, there are six like Hydrus, Plain Oldie. So I think we have uh, used the bet made the best use of our six man by far, of any team. Uh, Michael has said that Breakwood is an investment in the future. That's why he picked Breakwood. He thinks Breakwood could be good, but isn't there yet. Every team in HGC that I've ever talked to or played with had one player burn out from having to do all the drafting in addition to also being required to play their heroes. So this was announced in uh, an Oxygen's hype video. Cascon is not our sixth player. He's our drafter. He is full-time drafting. He will sub in uh, for Pierre when Pierre can't make a scrim. Banana. But Cascon is full-time drafting for Oxygen. That is his role. So he's at every scrim. He's drafting every every comp we play. We are, um, you know, we, we go over comps together uh, and, you know, plan drafts a little bit. But he is the drafter. He's the final say. That is his role on the team. Genji hired Noblesse to draft for them because it was so much work. Quacknex burned out because he was drafting and shot calling for Fnatic. Wubby really loved drafting, so that was fine. Like, Wubby thought of drafting as a hobby that he did in addition to his full time job of being a professional player. <laughs> yeah, so everyone uh, that I've ever talked to has had someone burn out on a professional team from having to draft and having to think about the game from that perspective. Because y- you have to go back and, like, when you're a drafter, you have to go back and look at the game and see did we execute this correctly? It's not just, you can't just, you can't experience it in the game. You have to look at the game from an outside perspective and be like, did we execute the, the draft correctly? So is the draft the problem or was the execution the problem? Cascon's just sitting in scrims, like watching. So he doesn't have that problem. He can just be looking at the game. Hyde, obviously it was just actually a player. I think a lot of, a lot of rosters are just using their person as a sub who shows up when they can't come. I'm not gonna say who and who isn't, but some teams are bringing six to every scrim and some are not. I think the Six should be there for every scrim, just so they understand what the team is doing. So that's that's how we're using the sixth man. Kaskon is Oxygen's official drafter. Been teaching Cascon to draft since I first started playing with him uh, and coaching him back in 2018. Um, something we've talked about a lot. We've gone over, we went over HUC drafts together all the time when HUC was running. I respect him a lot as a drafter, and I picked him as a drafter. I did not pick him as a player. He's a, he's a very good support player. He's good at particular supports. That's not his biggest strength. Yeah, Steve is in chat by the way. Steve is the manager for Oxygen. Um, one of the nice things about Oxygen is that we have a lot of infrastructure. So I'm a coach. Caskin's the drafter. Steve is the manager. He does scrim scheduling. Uh, the players can just literally show up and play. They don't have to. They don't have to do anything else. If they need help with something, I point it out to them and then help them with it. Like they don't. a lot of the weight, shall we say, is taken off of their shoulders. And that's it for the first episode of Inside CCL. I got to all the questions that already posted. Let me see if there's any question. So fan could fan draft for his team if you wanted to yeah sure was Cascon a contested pick uh, I got him sixth I knew Cascon would prefer to be a player if possible on a main roster so I waited until um, everyone had been picked up and then picked him up both because I had to prioritize other people and both because, and because I wanted to give him the best opportunity to be picked as a player if he could be but uh, it seems like no one was interested there were some more questions asked afterwards I don't want to answer them because I do want to get big big, get going. Um, but in a lot of the cases, these questions are, um, fairly meta in terms of their impact. They're talking about builds and stuff. So, uh, if people want to ask these questions for next week, I will answer them next week. At least the fluff Greffer question. Oh, okay. Greffer's gifting too many subs. Oh, Oxygen Steve gifted a sub. Oxygen Steve, thank you for the gift sub. Appreciate it a lot. Thank you guys for the subs in general. I really appreciate it. It's it's a big support to the channel, uh, to be honest. All right. All right, I'll answer the questions. So the first one is from uh, Greffer, Unaverted's Junkrat build in day one against Granite. Wildheart game. What was the deal with it? Such a vague question. Oh my God, Greffer's getting more subs. This is guilt. This is Greffer guilt is what this is. Thank you for the, thank you for the gift subs, Greffer. Welcome to the guest list, everyone. Um, So what was the deal with it? So the 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 level seven talents all suck into Deathwing, right? The level seven talents are, are not necessarily great into Deathwing. Can I actually, do I have a talent calculator? Is there a talent calculator that's up to date so I don't have to actually load the game? Because I know Hero's Heart's talent calculator is not up to date. And I wanna, I wanna, I wanna look at the level 7 talents and explain why they're not good. I guess I could just load the game up. Alright, so bogged down. Enemies launched by condition Mine are slowed. Big Ass, increased steel trap producing damage by 50%. Enemy heroes are hit at the armor reduced by 15 for 3 seconds. This still works on Deathwing. Uh, so Big Ass is actually quite good into Deathwing, even though you don't get the rest of the, uh, the value. Sticky Wicket, uh, Silence does nothing, right? So the reason people are taking Deathwing into Junkrat is to eat traps on purpose. It, in terms of punishing that, Big Ass is probably the best one. Uh, but Dirty Trickster, increase the explosion radius of your trait by 20%. When Junkrat is stunned, rooted, or damaged by an enemy hero while below 50% health, he uses Total Mayhem. So you use your trait. It's Big Ass. I'm, I'm reading it correctly. So let's look at let's look at it from this perspective. We have Sticky Wicked Taken. How many stuns and roots do we have? We have Diva Stun. We have uh, the Silence from Brightman Polymorph, which is not a stun or a root. We have... Arrow from Hanzo. We have Deathwing's E, and we have the Condemn mini stun. The Condemn mini stun actually does suck for Johanna. Like if she condemns um, a Junkrat, obviously you're probably not going to get them very often as Junkrat, but it gives you like a little bit of extra margin for safety. I think you should have. This should have been Big as and we tried to kill the Deathwing with the reduced armor. I think that would have been relevant regardless. Taste for explosions um was the meta talent pre-rework, and it just allows your Junkrat to scale a little bit more into the late game, um, whereas Boom Pow gives you CDR and Chattering Teeth causes them to chase. Both of these can be very, very strong. It just depends. Like if you're using your uh, W primarily for yourself, for safety, because you're worried about getting Dove and you took something like Ripper Air, then Boom Pow isn't necessarily what you're gonna be taking. And Chattering Teeth with the chase Put this in a choke, it can be extremely annoying to deal with. That's somewhat map dependent on whether or not it's really functional. The Wildheart drafts are very smart, in my opinion. Fun's going for RoboGo to adapt to Medallion and CC blob not working anymore. I mean, yeah, Justing is a very smart drafter. Uh, how many subs to revive the Cap Hawk? Uh, you can't revive the Cap Hawk, guys. The, the Cap Hawk has been shaved off. My hair would have to grow back. Uh, Q keyboard Cassia over AA, favored in a number of games, but AA still seems strong. What's causing people to lean to Q? Safety? Asking for myself and mockery. So, I can give a detailed answer to this question. I did. A uh, analysis of how much a build uh, was doing in terms of straight damage, uh, damage per minute, which isn't very hard, right? Because I have detailed stats. I can go look at uh, Priz and I can go look at his DPM, which is down here somewhere. Oh no, that's an oh no, there's he's doing you know, five thousand-ish damage per minute. We'll go look at another Cassie game from another player who is not Priz. Maki's, Maki's good. We'll go look at Maki's damage per minute. Huh, that's real different. Why is that so different? And obviously you're. You're not going to have these situations... They lost. That's why it's so different. You're not going to have these situations... The games aren't going to be comparable one-to-one. You need a fairly large body of data in order to make this determination. But I can tell you guys, in all the games I have looked at, auto-attack build has done more damage in teamfights. It's done straight more damage in teamfights. It's just better. Uh, The only... Think Q build is doing more damage in situations. Is it's doing more damage overall? But I think the only reason it's doing more damage overall is because people are throwing Qs to stack. If if Q didn't stack, they wouldn't be doing that damage. Which means auto attack would just be better across the board. It's not a huge difference. It's no, it's not really down to the body. It's 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 just that Q build doesn't do the same like level of throughput. Um, obviously they were losing this game. That's probably the largest difference to be honest. But I don't think Q build is good. I think people take Q-Build to compensate for Cassia's weakness of having shortened AA range. Um, but if, if that weakness is going to be punished, you shouldn't have picked Cassia. Q has more burst? <laughs> if Q had more burst, then Q-Build would be getting uh, more kills consistently, and it does not. I also checked that. I think people lean to Q-Build because it feels safer, and it feels like they can still be effective even when they're being out ranged. Um, but again, that you should fix that in the draft, you shouldn't fix that with talents you should allow heroes to shine at their strongest peak in a comp ideally so three're gonna down picks at the 16 burst uh you can just go that 16 talent. in fact do we have a game Let's see if we had a game How did Chris take this game I ended up taking martial law but you can you can go AA at one and just take the 16 talent if you think you need the, the burst is gonna get value I've heard decent arguments that you go key build for better wave clear breakpoints, you should not be pet drafting Cassier for wave clear it's not much' for I'm just telling you guys statistically, a build has done more damage and gotten more kills so I don't know what to tell you uh, either people are really bad at q build and just think it's good or a build is actually just better um and in various I don't have enough games to determine which one of those is strictly true the the, the the stats are very suggestive but manual review would be necessary I did look at a couple of games in terms of manual review and I definitely think a build was better and would have been better in in the games even where q build was taken so that's, that's all of Greffer's questions, um, which means that's going to be it for Inside the CCL Week 1, Episode 1. Whew, we made it, guys. We made it. We got, we got all the way through. Most important question unanswered? What was the most important question? <laughs> Since when do we listen to numbers? <laughs> uh, you think EU players picking keyboard makes it seem worse than it is? E- uh, Pink shouldn't have that big an effect on keyboard, to be honest. But I mean NA players picked it too, and I st- it still wasn't good. I feel like oh uh, Casper wear a bow tie whenever he wants. I'm never gonna force him to wear a bow tie. I feel like Q build also opens up for Instamount at 13 which gives her so much u- which gives her so much utility um, Instamount is fine uh, it's just fine. You-, you either need the range or you don't. If you don't need the range because of the draft, then the other talents are fine but if you need the range then I think you need the range regardless of what build you take to be honest. The range should come down to who is on the enemy team, not what build am I? That should be the question you're asking. If their entire team outranges you, you need to be picking. You need to be picking ranged. Moving shadow sixty-five. Thank you for the follow. Appreciate it. We made it, guys. Thank you all for watching. I Really appreciate it. We have eighty-two viewers, which is insane. We got a ton of subs. Thank you guys so much for supporting the channel. Tune back in for next. Tune tune back in next week for more. Uh, we'll also be having Going Alone sometime this week. The first episode of Going Alone there this will be on YouTube. Uh, and the, the edited, there will be an edited version of this going to YouTube in the next couple days uh, whenever Zane gets around to editing it. Zane is learning video editing, and we're going to try to make as much hot content as we uh, make, as we can for you guys. In the meanwhile, remember this is the stream where the schedule for next week is the same, so it'll still be at 11am. I haven't decided what day I'm doing Going Alone yet. Uh, going Alone, again, is the off show that I'll be doing where I go over the matchups for various off-lanes. Um, it will probably be on Wednesdays, but, like, uh, the the best way to know is to get in the eleven a.m. uh P, eleven a.m. PST I am I am PST so every Monday at eleven a.m. PST all right PDT I don't know which one we're in but yeah inside CCL will be every Monday bring Zane for analysis I might uh, again uh, we will have guest we will have guest stars I wanted to, I wanted to do one show first one for me to you guys without a guest but I will I will definitely be bringing guests on for inside the CCL. Thank you all for watching. Thank you for the support. How did Lord Boost separate the weeks in the old HGC chat? Uh, we had different channels for each region. That's how we separated questions. But now we, there's only one region. We don't need separate channels. <sighs> in the meanwhile, I'm finally going to get to it. Remember, this is the stream where we never lose. We always win or we learn something. Learning is always a win. Have a good night, everyone, and thank you so much for watching.